All right, everybody, what's going on? This is the Other Life Podcast. I'm Justin Murphy. I got a little solo show for you this evening. I want to announce some dates that I publish on the newsletter. I'll be in New York City for uh, almost a whole week at the end of May. I want to talk a little bit about that and what's going on. I'd love to meet some of you for all of you who live out there or can be in the area. It's going to be around Urbit Week, so there'll be a whole lot of things going on. I'll talk a little bit about that. I also have a bunch of other virtual events coming up which might be of interest. So I'll just talk about them real quick so everyone knows what's going on in the community. And then I want to talk mostly tonight about personal knowledge management, which is this really trendy term or meme, which frankly, I think is just a lot of bullshit. I wrote a essay last week that did the rounds. It seemed to hit a nerve. So I figured it would be worth sharing here on the podcast, maybe for those of you who aren't subscribed to the newsletter or didn't have a chance to read it. It's a little bit long. I think it's actually really important though, because I know a lot of people in my community who are really obsessed with these tools like Rome Research or what have you, or Notion or Evernote. And people get so obsessed with the tools. They really fetishize these different systems that have become really buzzy. And I really think it's just the uh, really bad way to think about intellectual work because I know people who are some of the most prolific geniuses I've ever met in my life back from academia who literally use nothing other than Microsoft Word just over and over again, doing everything in a simple little Microsoft Word document. Okay, so it's not about tools. And I have a kind of larger diagnosis about why I think the whole personal knowledge management market and industry has gotten so big and why it's so buzzy. I have a kind of psychological theory of that and a signaling theory of what's really going on there. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about that. For those of you who didn't get to read it, or even if you already read it, I want to expand a little bit because I think it's a really important topic. So yeah, that's the agenda for today. Uh, if you're not already subscribed to the newsletter, obviously go and do that. It's at otherlife.co. And uh, yeah, subscribe to the podcast on your phone. A lot of people just listen to this on YouTube, which is totally cool. That's fine. But uh, sometimes it's more convenient to have it on your phone. So go ahead and subscribe to the Other Life podcast. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. And yeah, so without further ado, let me tell you a little bit about what's going on uh, in the next few weeks. So I'm going to be hosting an open public other life meetup in Brooklyn. It's going to be on Monday, May 23rd. All right. So that's totally open. It's going to be at 11 a.m. We're going we're going early morning style, not early morning, but, you know, early afternoon. I just think sometimes it's nice to get out of the bars in the evening and meet people and talk about things in the sunlight, especially on a Monday morning get a nice fresh start to the week. So if you're in Brooklyn or New York City at all, or anywhere near there, uh, you know, I'm from New Jersey. So if I lived in New Jersey, I would probably drive a little bit to come to this, it will probably be pretty badass. Um, I'll be there, obviously, but I know I have a lot of friends and, and readers and viewers in the New York area. So it should be pretty interesting and pretty cool. I think we're going to do it in a park. Um, I've been I'm kind of leaving open the details of where exactly it's going to be. I might be, I, I might have some interesting ideas for uh, uh, for this event, which I'm going to leave a little ambiguous and open-ended. But yeah, go ahead and drop your email if you want to learn more about the exact details. I'll put the link in the show notes so um, you can just drop your email and I'll send out more details as we get closer to the date. But for now, just save the dates, save the time. Monday, May 23rd, at 11 a.m. All right, so what else? Um... Nina Power is doing a writing retreat in Norway. I said I'd give her a shout out. Um, I would totally go to that if I could. It's all meals included, lodging included, airport transfers, everything included. It's outside of Oslo. It's for like a whole week starting Sunday, May 22nd. 
Uh, I would go to that in a heartbeat. Honestly, it's 1500 pounds, British pounds, but that's all inclusive of everything, lodging, meals, airport, everything. Uh, she's a total badass, amazing person. I would, I would honestly, if you have the time and you're looking for something like that to re rejuvenate your work, I would do that in a heartbeat. I'm sure it's worth the money. Uh, so you can reach out to her again, link in the show notes. And I also want to let you know that I am doing a meetup for non-urbit software engineers that are interested in possibly building software on urbit. I think the, tr the, I basically just think that people don't understand the opportunity. I think it's much more rational and much more feasible to, if you're a good engineer to actually take urbit seriously as a, as a really asymmetric bet, uh, really exciting. And I think long-termist way to think about building software. So if you're actually really good and you can learn multiple languages and things like that, and you're not a total wuss, who's just scared by the, you know, common talking points, I would love for you to come out to this. And I'm going to basically try to explain from my perspective, what, what I think people don't see. I, I honestly think, uh, people just don't understand why it's such an exciting opportunity. And, you know, it's like, like no one's paying me to do this. I'm doing this because the network economics and the net, the prospects I really do feel are just so exciting and it's a bit complicated. So I think that's, that's why people just don't, they honestly just don't know what's happening on the network. So I'm going to try to explain it. And, um, because I want it because I'm, you know, I'm building on Urbit. I, I have a fast growing community on there and I just think, I really do think it's the future. So, and I think I've been studying it and I have a perspective that maybe not a lot of people have, and I think I can communicate it. So I'm just passionate about trying to get engi more engineers into the ecosystem. So I'm going to make my case that'll be on Thursday, May 5th. So later this week, um, 12 PM to 1 PM central, um, you know, that's for any, any non Urbit engineers who want my pitch and to, to try to understand why um, I'm so obsessed with this and why I think it's, it's, it's a really asymmetric opportunity. Okay. So those are the few events coming up that I wanted to make sure everyone who listens to the podcast knows about. And yeah, that's, that's it for now. Uh, there's a few other things, but um, later, but that's enough. I, oh, I'll, quickly, I should say that, um, yeah, so Urbit Week is, is kind of my pretext for going to New York. So there's going to be a bunch of other things. Um, in particular, I would, if I, if I marked my calendar for anything, I would, I would save the date of um, uh, Friday, the whatever the Friday is around May 19th or May 20th, the Friday of that weekend, the Mars Review of Books is going to be doing a launch party. Uh, the Mars Re Review of Books is a new journal, I guess you'd call it you know, like the New York review of books or the LA review of books or something like that, that is going to be on Urbit. It's going to be print and digital and their big launch is, is uh, going to be that Friday evening. So that should be a cool party. I think it's going to be at the same plate. Um, I think I'm supposed to keep that private. I don't know. I forget, but it'll be in, uh, the, it'll be around the lower East side, I believe. So stay tuned for that. Um, I'll be writing more about these things. So if you want to just make sure that you're up to date on everything going on, just make sure you're subscribed to otherlife.co newsletter. All right. That's all on that for now. I want to get into some ideas with you on this podcast. I want to talk about this um, very trendy concept of personal knowledge management. Okay. The one of one of the theses that I advance in this essay is that I think what's going on here, the reason why everyone is talking about personal knowledge management and why it's so why why tools like Rome Research and Notion and Evernote and, and this is like such a popular topic. And it has whole, it, it has a whole kind of culture around it. There are YouTube influencers that are all about, you know, notion or like all about Rome research or what have you. And 
I don't think any of these are bad people or anything like that. So I'm not, you know, hating on anyone in particular, but I do think that there are some kind of market incentives that lead this culture to some rather ridiculously inflated claims. And as someone who was a professor for many years, you know, I, I, I'm not like a super, super productive person in the scheme of productive people. You know, I'm not, I haven't published, you know, a hundred scientific papers like some people have, but I'm pretty productive. I've published, you know, a good handful of scientific papers and a good healthy handful of blog posts and newsletters. I would say I'm, I'm, I'm well above average in terms of actually producing work over, you know, my, my early career, let's say the past 10, 10 or 15 years or so. And so as a moderately productive person, I can say that, you know, I've never really had any system for managing my knowledge and it's kind of just chaos and it kind of always has been. I suspect that it always will be. And a lot of the most prolific genius intellectuals I know in academia and out, it's kind of the same for them. You know, um, there is really no method to the madness other than reading a lot of books, writing things down that you think of, and then deciding to commit to expanding on some particular line of thought and just doing that over and over again, basically. And so I want to talk a little bit about um, the the reason why I think people are so obsessed with personal knowledge management and why I think it's why I think it's basically a bullshit idea. So first of all, the first thing we need to talk about is that the real bull in the, in the China shop here that no one ever talks about in these little cottage industries is that the great proportion of variance in knowledge management effectiveness is mostly genetic, right? The fact is some people are built differently. There's a lot of variance in just basic, you know, dispositions and the ability to intake and manage and organize knowledge and information and then productively create knowledge based on what you're taking in, that's, you know, very genetically loaded. Okay. So if you looked at the scientific research, we, we would certainly find, um, without a doubt that if there was one factor that explains more of the variation between, you know, who's productive and who's not, who has a good knowledge management system and who doesn't the, the, the hidden underlying variable, um, that is more powerful as an explanatory variable than any other variable is going to be genetics. Okay. You know, your average notion and Rome research influencers do not <laughs> tell you this, uh, it kind of hurts their marketing, but it's an, it's a really important fact because when you look at people that you admire, when you think about your own aspirations and expectations around like what you want to accomplish as a writer or a thinker, you know, you, you should be realistic and honest and, and, and calibrated to reality when it comes to you know, what your natural gifts are and what they're not. Because if you're honest about that, you can devise strategies that lean into your strengths and lean away from your weaknesses. So if you're, for instance, if you're not a very, if you're not like a hyper-organized personality, if you don't enjoy building organizational systems, then you're probably not going to excel at these knowledge management systems and these knowledge management tools that are so trendy and that people try to sell you on being this like game-changing device you know, you might need to lean into your chaos. You might need to lean into having ideas all over the place and forgetting things, just, just being willing to forget about things and just going hardcore into whatever spontaneously excites you. Uh, if you have a great idea in, in a moment and you're enthused by that idea, you, given your personality type, you might need to just drop what you're doing and write it out, write a thousand words in, in one sitting. If you have the type of mind that gets very enthusiastic in short bursts. And once you write something down and put it into your note-taking archive or whatever, you know, fancy technical term you want to use from the personal knowledge, man knowledge management, you know, arena, 
they have so many different, you know, uh, technical terms for, for these things. Um, if you follow that advice and you, you put your thought into some, you know, note-taking app or, or archival mechanism that you learned from some influencer or from some course, well, your personality type, you might just never go back to that idea because maybe a week later you find it boring and that's how your brain works. So a lot of these systems that are very popular that people market like crazy, um, aren't going to be good for, uh, people who have a kind of genetic disposition that is not similar to these hyper-organized individuals. What a lot of the personal knowledge man knowledge management space is, is actually just people who are genetically blessed with high industriousness and high orderliness. Like they are the types of people who love organizing little files. They get off on it and they're good at it and then they take pleasure in it. And then they realize, oh, well, there's millions of people who are super unorganized and they feel pain and suffering because they're so unorganized in this world that's so rich in information nowadays. They realize they're sitting on a massive pot of gold because they can just market their natural skills as something that they pretend to be teachable. And a lot of it just is not teachable. A lot of it is basically genetic and different personality types, and they don't really want to talk about that. So that's one just factor. Okay. That's just one factor. That's just one argument here. There's a lot going on here actually. So the other thing is I, I want to look at a few kind of specific, uh, memes within this larger space. For instance, the, the one popular meme is these knowledge graphs you see everywhere. Now this is popularized, especially by Rome research. I think, you know, a knowledge graph is just what it sounds like. It's a graph structure, but it's linking the nodes of your knowledge or information or your notes basically. And this is usually done by bi-directional linking or backlinking. So in Rome research and notion and these, all of these trendy apps. Now these personal knowledge management apps, you can with any one word in one document link back to some other document. And so voila, you can make these, um, crazy looking graphs. I, I think they look insane and horrendous. Uh, overwhelming and not useful at all. Uh, I guess some people have convinced themselves that they're really cool and really smart and somehow, you know, stimulating. I don't buy it. I, I really don't buy it. I think the only people who find these bit, you know, they're big, overwhelming, complicated things. There's this problem called combinatorial explosion. Like whenever anything has multiple links to other things, as you build it up, it, you know, the, the complexity skyrockets fast. Okay. It's completely overwhelming. Your mind can't manage it. And it's this kind of simulacrum of thinking and the simulacrum of, of knowledge. Um, it's not actually what you want. If you want to do meaningful work over time, you need to be constantly moving out of the graph format that your brain naturally puts all of your ideas and all of the information in. You need to be cutting through it with, with straight lines. You need to be, you know, sitting down and deciding I'm going to write, you know, 2000 words on this topic or this thesis that I have, because I think it's important, not because my graph, not because I'm looking at my graph and it just magically tells me this is the idea that I should be working on today. No, you do it through linear brute willfulness is what I talk about in the essay. It's, it's a, it's a, a kind of attitude and it's a kind of uh, decision that really make, and, and, and it's certainly a matter of habits and it's, cer it's a certainly a matter of, of. It is a matter of workflows and processes and and habits and and mindsets, if you will. So there there are things that can be said helpfully and productively about how to how to do more effective work and how to do it more consistently at higher volumes. But it's not this mechanistic, 
emergence from a piece of software. It's just never going to be. And I think when you look at a lot of what the bloggers and the influencers point at when they when they claim that Rome research is so magical or Notion is so magical or use this app, it's going to, you know, 10x your your idea productivity. Like all of these ideas, what what they're really doing is they're looking at these software devices and they're fetishizing certain powers of software that they think are, they think that's what knowledge is, or they think that's what it means to create ideas, but it's just not. And the fact is, I don't mean to be mean, and I don't mean any disrespect, but a lot of these people, I mean, they're not, I don't even think they would disagree with this. Like they're not the types, they're not people who are putting out big ideas over long periods of time in philosophy or science or something like that. I don't even think they would pretend to be that. So I'm not, you know, attacking them. And so if I'm going to take inspiration or take heuristics from how to organize my intellectual life, how to organize my knowledge and information, I'm going to do it from people who have long careers of prolific genius intellectual work. I'm not going to take that advice from people who just decided they're going to be the Rome research influencer guy on YouTube, you know, show me a body of work that you've built over time. That's meaningful and non-trivial. And then I might, you know, think twice about listening to your, um, advice for how I should manage my knowledge. But when you have all of these people who their game is just trying to um, ride on the coattails of a trendy piece of software, you should be very, very skeptical. And when you actually look at what they're saying, it's just not plausible. It's totally implausible. Because if you look at what they share, for instance, you'll see these knowledge graphs. I put an example in in my essay. If you go to otherlife.co forward slash PKM, there's one graph that's always shared for... uh, Rome research as a kind of representation of, you know, Rome research's sex appeal. And it's just this graph that's totally illegible. Yeah, it's kind of aesthetic. Okay. It's kind of interesting. But this is a perfect example. It's it's like a simulacrum of what someone imagines knowledge is. Um, and it, maybe on some level, it is actually like that in your brain, because we do have neural nets. You know, there's a good case to be made that knowledge in our brain is actually represented as a graph. But that's the problem, right? That's exactly the problem that that writing tries to overcome through through will and through through forcefulness and, and through decisiveness and through, you know, vision, basically, uh, the vision of what you think is most important, the, your your conviction around what ideas really deserve to be expanded in a linear way, right? Essays, articles, books are essentially hier- hierarchical and linear, um, more or less, even if you have a very rhizomatic style, even if it's aphorisms, or it's a kind of Deleuzean philosophy tract, the point is you generally read a book from the beginning to the end, even even the craziest books, which you know Deleuze and Guattari say that you can read, uh, you know, uh, Capitalism and Schizophrenia by opening up any page at any time. But even still, you read from left to right, right? There's just a there's a kind of intrinsically linear nature to um, writing and reading, basically. And so that's the essence of of meaningful, non-trivial intellectual work. It's not this kind of uh, simulacrum that you get from an, a totally overwhelming graph. I think if you're honest about what these these knowledge graphs are you know, they're overwhelming. Like I used Rome research for, for two weeks straight as an experiment. I have to admit, I was intrigued, you know, I was very intrigued. Um, it is a cool idea. Um, and I tried it. So I, I set aside everything and I decided I would only write all my thoughts and take all my notes and keep all my bookmarks in Rome research. I did it for two weeks straight. I was diligent. And by the end of the two weeks, my knowledge graph was completely overwhelming and unintelligible. It was, and also I found that in my writing process and my note-taking process, just jotting down my thoughts and, and writing essays or whatever, like I do, it was, 
I was constantly thinking about, should I backlink this to that? And I want the opposite of that. I want to just basically write what I think as fast as possible. And I want to move on to the next thing. Something I didn't put in this essay, which is probably a topic for another original essay, is that I do have a strong personal thesis that I would contrast to the personal knowledge management slash knowledge graph, you know, school of thought, which is that in my, the way that I work generally search solves everything. Okay. That maybe that, maybe that should be the, the, the title for my next essay, but I just dump what I think into one document or a series of documents, one after another. And what I mostly want out of an app is just good search, a fast search, reliable, fast search. So I don't ever need to think about where do I put something? I don't want to ever think about that. I don't want to think, how do I tag this? I don't want to think, what should I link this to? I want to literally just write as fast as I can, whatever's on the top of my mind, because I have that kind of personality. I don't like going back over my notes. I don't want this big archive of everything I've ever written and everything I've ever thought. I don't want, I don't really want that. I, I, I find that actually oppressive. Um, there's, a, there's a nice quote in this essay that I put from Deleuze, in fact, where he says, I have no reserve knowledge. Everything that I learn, I learn for a particular task. And once it's done, I immediately forget it. So that if 10 years later, I have to, and this gives me great joy, if I have to get involved with something close to or directly within the same subject, I would have to start again from zero, except in certain very rare cases. So I like this idea of rejecting the concept of reserve knowledge altogether. And this is very much how I feel. This maps onto my genuine experience in my mind. Once I'm done with an essay or I publish something, I really do forget about it. Like I've written really good pieces. I think that if you ask me, you know, even three weeks later, like what was the main idea or what was the most interesting bit in it? I, I literally like draw a blank. I, I can't even remember. And yeah, maybe that's a shame. Maybe it would be cool if I could kind of keep all of that with me in my mind. And I was like constantly doing like memory you know, exercises with my own research database. But I think that's a corny and oppressive way to live. Honestly, I think that's, that's not how you're going to have the most free and creative and dynamic uh, intellectual life personally. And so going back to what I was saying, search is really the only kind of backward looking tool that you need. And if you just rely on search and nothing else, what it means is you can write, you can literally just have one document open for weeks and weeks. And it's just at the bottom of the document, Every new thought you have, just put it in the bottom of the document. I do this basically. Um, and so I'll have, you know, like right now, I, the, the, the document that I write my thoughts and ideas and notes in is just like, it's like a mile long. Um, I just scroll to the bottom or I keep it open at all times. And I just, the bottom is, is what's pulled up and I'll just add to it. And then when I want to publish to the newsletter or I want to publish something or I decide, you know, okay, taking a step back and thinking about all these ideas I have, there's this one that's really the most important that I'm really excited by. I'm going to spend the next week just focusing on that. Then I will choose consciously to maybe set a new, maybe just pull that chunk out, put it in a new document and I'll work on that for a week and then I'll publish it and then I'll forget about it or lose it. And I, I, that, you know, that's actually a good thing. You don't want to be constantly preoccupied with everything you've ever written in the past. And so, yeah, I just basically reject this idea. I don't believe this idea that you build this knowledge graph that accumulates over time. And then this somehow, um, produces like novel intellectual advancements or intellectual progress. I just don't think it works like that. I think what actually happens if you're being totally honest is you get this overwhelming mass of oppressive past ideas. You spend all your time worrying about what to tag, what to backlink, and you spend all of your time kind of locked in this maze of 
things you thought in the past or things you cared about in the past. And you actually never get around to sitting down and writing a badass, forceful, linear uh, piece of non-trivial insight or knowledge. Because I think that muscle is a totally different muscle than the muscle that you're using when you when you indulge in these these knowledge graph devices. You know, the, the muscle is will and decisiveness. And it's really more of an attitude and more of a spirit that you need to be able to exercise regularly. And this is what we do in the Indie Thinkers cohort. If you go to IndieThinkers.org, um, you know, we, we constantly run these cohorts. You can learn more about it there. But I, you know, I teach what I know. I share some heuristics and stuff like that. But I really make very clear that the bulk of what you get out of Indie Thinkers is just showing up to the group sessions where we all work on our work on our writing privately and just exercising that muscle of will of deciding for the next four hours, I'm going to work on this idea because I think this is the most important and I'm going to work fast and I'm going to be confident and courageous and I'm just going to do my best job. And then I'm going to, I'm going to click publish that, that linear brute force, that willfulness and decisiveness and confidence and conviction and, and getting that muscle and getting in the reps, that thing is actually much more important, I believe, for building a long-term intellectual life than any fancy tool or knowledge graph system. And in a lot of ways, I think a lot of these systems and tools are actually counterproductive because people end up, and I see it, people end up spending hours and hours, many weeks, just tinkering with the tools. And it's, it's a real problem. It's, it's so common, actually, that, you, that that's one of the reasons why I wrote this essay, because I'm starting to think that actually these, these paralyzing, distracting aspects of these tools are actually like the greater majority of how they affect most people most of the time. And you just hear all of these great things. You hear about how this tool is magical and revolutionary and will totally improve your productivity because there are vested interests, basically. Um, the, the problem is that there's huge demand because this is a real problem. Like every millions and millions of people feel overwhelmed by information and they can't focus and they can't execute their will and they can't publish meaningful work. And so they really, really want a tool. They really, really want some simple thing that's going to solve the problem for them. So there's all this demand, um, which makes it really rife for bullshit, basically. And so if you have something to sell, if you have a software tool or you have a course or whatever, that basically is going to tell people, I will solve this problem for you through this, you know, clever little system, you know, people, um, a lot of people want that a lot of people will pay for it. And so you get this result where a lot of people are shilling this, you know, like really over, um, over glamorized, you know, personal knowledge management idea. All right. So these are the types of things that I talk about in the essay. I could say a little bit more, but I think that basically, uh, you know, cuts to the quick of it. I'm hugely skeptical. I'm, I, I, I do think that basically I would say maybe 90% of the content you see out there about how these tools will change your life is, um, to some degree overstated or misleading in a, in an important, you know, non-trivial way. So I, I don't think that any of these people are bad people to be perfectly clear. And I do think I should say to be perfectly explicit about this and, and balanced about this. I do think that at the margin for certain types of people, a certain type of tool can, you know, make a real difference or a certain course that teaches you how to use a certain set of tools can make a real difference. So I have nothing against people who try to build software or build courses or build systems to actually help less organized people or less productive people become more organized or more productive. I do think that it can be done for certain people at certain margins. I just think that those people and those margins are much more nuanced and specific than a lot of this literature and, and this content and this whole meme economy um, would, would ever tell you, 
really. And so that's my, that's my full frontal assault on personal knowledge management. I think that, you know, knowledge is a brute force attack, not a bureaucratic spider web. So you can read the whole essay at otherlife.co forward slash PKM. And like I said, I'm going to be in Brooklyn for uh, like four or five days uh, at the end of May. And if nothing else, do come out to the Other Life meetup, which will be on Monday, May 23rd at 11 a.m. I'll put links to the show notes and all these things. I'm going to be you know, trickling out more information about these things in the next couple of weeks. And if you haven't seen already, I've started publishing podcasts from the studio, the new studio in Austin, and they look pretty amazing. I'm very pleased with them. Ben is doing a great job of editing. Shout out to Ben, who moved out of Austin, but uh, you know he's still still working closely with me, and he's doing a great job on the videos. They've been getting a lot more engagement. It seems like people really do enjoy watching podcasts that are you know in the flesh, and it's been really it's way more fun to do them. So I'm I'm actually really pumped. It, it feels like you know you can see the engagement going up. You can see subscribers going up. I think we're at the beginning of a new era for the Other Life podcast, and I'm super pumped to build a really badass scene of of you know interesting people around the podcast here in Austin. Uh, maybe I'll start flying people out or you know encouraging people to come out. Uh, we'll see. Thanks for listening to the podcast. As always, Other Life. I'm Justin Murphy. Subscribe on your phone if you haven't already. Subscribe. On, on YouTube if you're listening or watching here. And yeah, make sure you're subscribed to the newsletter, otherlife.co, otherlife.co. That's where I publish all my best work. So make sure you're subscribed. And actually, I'll say before I let you go that uh, if you subscribe to the newsletter, otherlife.co, I'm going to send you all of my highlights from some of my favorite books. So I just started um, building up this little directory. I have to you know digitize more more highlights, but I have PDFs of all of my personal highlights from some of my favorite books. And um, I will email those to you if you sign up to the newsletter at otherlife.co and I'm going to be adding to those over time. So at the moment, I think there's just like five, five to 10 books in there or something like that, but I'm going to keep adding to that. So, um, yeah, I'll put links to all these things in the show notes and I hope to see some of you in New York city at the end of May. Thanks for hanging out as always. And, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to head out. Oh, I see some super chats. I should respect that. I got, I'll read some. So we got here from someone named Declaration. How do you feel about tools like Zotero for research note management? Um, I use Zotero for my citation management. It's worth having. It's maybe worth using, but I will say even Zotero, I have wasted too much time on. Like basically any tool, you name it, there's a high probability you're going to, you're going to waste too much time on it. That's why you want to just basically reduce thinking about tools as much as possible and just write in one app, whatever is literally fastest and quickest and gets you focused on ideas and in and out of the computer as fast as, as possible. That's going to be the best way to go. Um, Zotero is a good example. Cause like when I was an academic, I spent hours and hours building, I have a badass Zotero database on my computer. I have like the PDF, the scientific PDF papers. I have correctly entered, you know, citational information and it's all you know, for probably like thousands of papers, I have a very nicely organized Zotero for thousands of papers that I've read and, and, and annotated. And now do you know how often I actually use that database? Very, very infrequently. That's in part because I do less academic publishing and more, you know, uh, uh, internet writing. But if you do think like, I think that most of knowledge influence is going to be happening on the internet and less and less will it be happening on in academia. And if you think that, like, I think that, you know, um, the real center of intellectual influence is increasingly moving to independent intellectuals on the internet, then dumping a lot of time into having a nicely manicured Zotero database is not a good use of your time. It just isn't who cares. It's, it's like this bug man 
type of mentality. Like, you know, if you're, if you're spending hours each day, making sure that, you know, the, the issue number is correctly entered in, in contrast to the volume number of the journal, it's like, you're totally cucked, basically, like you're thinking about that's not where great ideas come from. That's not what really meaningful work is. And if you get too obsessed with that stuff, you can really rot your brain and become this kind of uh, really weak bug man type of bureaucrat. And I was guilty of that for I, I fell into that trap many times, you know, um, with Zotero, but also with other things. So yeah, it depends on what you're doing. Obviously, it depends on what your goals are. But um, that's, that's my take on Zotero. It's kind of um, I, I have a strong kind of anti-tool attitude towards towards all knowledge-related things because the the real the real stuff, the stuff that matters more than anything else when it comes to thinking and writing, takes place at the spirit level. It takes place. I don't mean spirit in a woo-woo way. I mean I mean it takes place in in a kind of um, emotional psychological moment and relationship to the actual ideas in your mind and then getting them onto paper in an, in an honest, authentic way, just doing that repeatedly and, and getting into the groove of that and then publishing them consistently. That matters just um, like a hundred times more than whether or not you have a, a, a nicely poli you know, um, polished Zotero database with a lot of papers in it or whatever. So yeah, I think spend 90% of your time just thinking, reading, uh, writing great thoughts and and developing those thoughts in in a passionate, convicted, original, interesting, enthusiastic way, and um, maybe ten ten percent of your time use that on you know tinkering with these things. Basically, that's my two cents. Any other um, questions before I roll? I haven't actually been paying too much attention to the chat. All right. Well, thanks for that question declaration, and thanks to everyone for hanging out. As always, I appreciate you. I'll be back on here, I'm sure, eventually. And yeah, I got to go see if my little baby is um, awake yet. He might be in his crib um, all alone because I I can't hear him right now. So, all right, folks, I appreciate you. Other Life Podcast, I'm Justin Murphy, and I'm out of here. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You made it all the way to the very end, so you must really like the show. In that case, I would be super grateful if you'd be so kind to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is go to otherlife.co slash review. That's otherlife.co forward slash review. And it'll send you an Apple podcast. Just leave a review. You can be honest. Tell me what you really think. I'd really appreciate it because it'll help other people find the show. And I'm really trying to grow out the podcast. So thanks for listening. And thank you for leaving a review. I really appreciate it.